At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Amen. You may be seated. We are in 1 Peter chapter 1. How great it is to be able to worship together. As you're turning to 1 Peter chapter 1, let me remind you that tonight is a very important time for our church family. It's our annual celebration, 5 p.m. at the Troy campus. And could I just encourage you to make that a priority? We will be voting on the budget. We will be um, appointing or uh, new um, officers, elders, and also we'll be ordaining six pastors which this is so important, you guys, as go the pastors and their fidelity and doctrine and so forth, so goes the church. And so let me just encourage you tonight, five o'clock at the Troy campus, you are all invited. Also, uh, we're going to be taking communion after the service. And so if you did not get the elements, they're right at the entrance. So you can go get that. But also we have the bulletins. The bulletins are back. And I want to just encourage you to familiarize yourself with them. If you didn't get one, get one on your way out. And let me point you also to uh, one of the things that the bulletins uh, let us know about is the giving. And it's important that all of us know how we are doing with giving and that we all take responsibility for this church family if this is your church family. I'll be talking about giving in upcoming weeks, but I just wanted to draw your attention to that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your provision for all of our needs, material and spiritual. Father, I thank you for everyone here. I thank you for everyone who contributes to the needs of this church family. Lord, I pray that you bless them. For those who may not have work or a job, I pray, Lord, that they would know that you are the one who provides for their every need. And I pray that you would do that, God. Continue to do that. Father, I thank you for taking care of our church family so we may continue this wonderful gospel work in which we're engaged. Father, as your word instructs us, we pray for our commander-in-chief, President Trump, and his wife, Melania. Father, we pray specifically for their health and quick recovery. Watch over them, Lord. Father, I thank you for the honor of worshiping with the saints. I thank you for this. Thank you for this gathering. The fact that we can be together singing your praise and bowing before your word and learning from you. Feed us today, O Lord. That we may be radiant as we look to you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 1. The Apostle Peter writes in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever." And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The, wor the word of the Lord. 
2020 has been called a year of many things, COVID, social unrest, Zoom. I think for many people, 2020 has been a year of little working out and lots of eating. Anyone there with me? You know, like as soon as everything hit in March, the supermarkets were ransacked. I think people were like, hey, if I'm going to be stuck at home, I'm going to eat. And I think that's also why the toilet paper was gone, right? Simple math, lots of eating, little exercise. But don't you love being able to blame COVID for how out of shape we all are? You know, like it's so good. Like we can say, man, 2020 was finally the year where I was going to work out like never before, but they closed the gyms, nothing I could do, you know? But we love eating and we love adding food to things that don't require it. You know, like I... We, we eat, we go. People used to go to the movies so they could eat. I would see people miss the beginning of the movie, which is so important, right? So you know what's going to happen so they could get their snacks, big popcorn, big Coke. You know, when, now I'm cheap. So when I was back in Manhattan, you know, I would go to the $1 movie theater. You know, like that's where I went. There was this theater, movies were $1, and that's where I went. This is back in 1995. I was a college student, lived on the cheap. Well, the thing, you know, the only thing is that they released the movies in this theater like four or five months later after the release date, but I didn't care, right? It was the same movie. It's not like they changed the plot or anything, same thing, and it cost me only $1. But then I started dating Anna, and Anna loved going to the movies, but she loved going on opening night, so full price, and she loves snacks. I mean, to her, going to the movies was not going to the movies without snacks, which I still don't understand. So between our tickets and the snacks, it cost like $30. So it became 30 times more expensive to go to the movies with Anna. But life is better with her. It really is. But you know, we love eating. We love eating. You know, we, the holidays are coming, which is eating open season. So we ate through COVID and now we're headed for more eating. Food is so important to us, isn't it? You're now, some of you are thinking right now, you're going to eat for lunch. You're like ready to order which is so good because this text that we have today makes use of a powerful food metaphor and it invites us to taste the goodness of God. Taste the goodness of God. Think about this. We taste all kinds of flavors. We taste sweet, salty, sour, bitter. And when those flavors, you know, bacon or chocolate or lemon or coffee hit our tongue, Yes, the food goes into our stomach, but more importantly, all kinds of happy feelings go all throughout our bodies. And so there's a connection between what we eat and how we feel. Now, when it comes to God, how do we taste God? How do we taste God? Because that's precisely what this text says. But how do we do that? What's the equivalent to the taste buds on our tongue when it comes to God. That's part of what the text today is going to help us answer, which is so important because one of the saddest things as a pastor is to meet people who have no taste buds for God. And I'm not talking about people who are not in the church, people who don't belong to the church. I expect people who are not in church to have no taste buds for God. I'm talking about people in church who come week in and week out because they know it's right, not because they know it's good. And that's so sad. Remember the movie Ratatouille by Pixar? We love that movie. It's one of our family's favorite. You know, we saw it not too long ago again. And, um, but in this movie, it's about a little chef who happens to be a rat. 
and his name is Remy. And Remy has a highly developed sense of taste. So when he combines flavors, there's this colorful explosion of fireworks in his mind. Sweet and tangy and lightningy, he says, about a smoky flavor. So this is Remy, right? Highly developed sense of taste. Then there's Emil, his brother, who is nothing like that. To Emil, food is food. He could be eating garbage. He could be eating fine cheese. It's all the same. He eats because it's right, because it's a necessity, not because it's delicious. And I wonder how many of you come to church week in and week out because it's right and not because it's good. And my prayer is that God would use this text, this sermon today to change that in you. Can the Emils among us become Remy? I think they can. I think you can. So let's dig right in. First, love one another. Look at verse 22 one more time. Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Okay, from the very beginning of this letter, Peter has been uh, showcasing for us this new reality that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ have brought upon the world and upon everyone who belongs to him. And he describes this new reality in many ways, but one of his favorite ways is as imperishable. Imperishable. He told us that our inheritance in Christ is imperishable in verse four. He tells us in chapter three that the beauty of Christian women is imperishable because it's inward, marked by a gentle spirit. And so the reason that our inheritance and our inward self are imperishable is because we've been born of an imperishable seed. And so Peter draws this contrast between the perishable and the imperishable, the human and the divine, human sperm and divine word. Look at verse 23 once again. He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So for you to be a person on planet earth, uh, there had to be a human seed involved in the process. That's what he means by perishable seed. And for you to be, if you are a Christian, for you to belong to the kingdom of God, there had to be an imperishable seed in the process. So you had a natural birth, and if you're a Christian, you also had an alien birth. And I say alien in the sense that it's not natural, it's divine. And that seed, that imperishable seed that caused you to have this alien birth is the living and abiding word of God. Now look back with me at verse 22. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So when the new new birth has done for you is it's purified your soul by your obedience to the truth. Now what's our obedience to the truth? Well, it's your belief in the gospel. Look at the middle of verse 25. He says, this word is the good news that was preached to you. The good news is often um, translated the gospel. So the good news, the gospel that was preached to you was obeyed. You obeyed it. How? How? By believing it. 
That's the first act of obedience for anyone, for God. And it's the most fundamental one because believing in God, everything else cascades from there. And so by believing the truth, your soul was purified for what? For brotherly love. In other words, believing in God, you enter into this new reality where love is now a goal and a possibility. So you want to love the body of Christ and you're able. Because it'd be horrible if you wanted to love the body of Christ, but you couldn't. No, now it's love, brotherly, sincere brotherly love is a possibility as well as a goal. We can do it and we want to do it. And because you've entered this new reality where love is possible, Peter says, love one another. Love one another from a sincere heart. Now here I want you to be clear on this distinction. Believing the truth of God in Christ does not make you a loving person. Believing the truth of God in Christ puts you into the kingdom of God, which purifies your soul and now you are able to love but you actually have to do it you have to do the loving love is a verb let me compare love to skydiving okay i've been on many airplanes before and i don't recall ever being on any of these airplanes and thinking man i should skydive right now never had that now because you know i was there to sit comfortably in the chair and let the plane do the job and take me to earth right and so but if i were to go on an airplane and i had a parachute on and the airplane was a sky for skydiving that was the purpose now skydiving would become a goal and a possibility but i still would have to jump right until i jump it's not skydiving and you see Until we actually make time for someone in need. Until we actually speak a kind word to someone. Or speak Christ to those who are far from him. Until we actually forgive someone who has injured us. It's not love. It's not love. See, if you're in the kingdom of God, you're on the airplane, you have the parachute on, but you still have to jump. Now you may say, well, I'm thinking about speaking a kind word to someone. That's not love. I'm thinking about making time for someone in need. That's not love. Well, I'm thinking, I'm really thinking about forgiving this person who hurt me. That's great, but that's not love. Those are good thoughts, but love is a verb. Love is something that we actually do. Now, we'll come back to this question of love in just a few moments because Peter comes back to it. But for now, remember that we have been born again. The reason that we're able to love one another from a sincere heart is because we've been born again of imperishable seed. And so now Peter talks to us about that very imperishable seed, which is the word of God. And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40 to expand our understanding of that word. So look with me at verse 24. Peter says, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now this passage in Isaiah opens up this section in Isaiah of the boundless, ever-present, mighty grace of God moving toward his people at a time when Israel was in exile away from the land, languishing waiting for God's deliverance. You see, the people that Isaiah was prophesying for some 2,600 years ago were tempted to give up faith in God, just as the people that Peter is talking to 
are weary of the glory of the Roman Empire and the might of their military, which often pressed into the tender Christian communities, bringing them to what seemed to them like a breaking point. And so Peter is reminding them, listen, all flesh is like grass and their glory, including the Roman Empire's glory, is like grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And so here, uh, I wanna ask, you know, have you seen the ruins of Rome? Rome withered, Rome fell, but the word of the Lord remains. And so I wanna remind you of something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Can we have this slide up? You know, we talked about right now in the world, there are two entities at work, the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God. Both of these are at work in the world. And if you belong to God in Christ, then you belong to God's kingdom. And so you have a dual citizenship, your citizenship in heaven, in the kingdom of God, but you also have a citizenship in the kingdoms of this world, whether it's from the United States of America or you're a Chinese citizen or a French citizen and so forth. So both of these realms have real authority. Romans 13 talks about this, that there is no authority except those that have been instituted by God. And yet we're going toward a time when the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is Revelation eleven fifteen. So there is a time coming when there will be one king, one kingdom. But until then, both of these kingdoms are advanced and sustained by different means. The kingdom of God moves forward in the world by the power of God's word. The kingdom of the world is advanced and sustained by the power of the sword. Both sources of power come from God. Romans 13 again says that governments do not bear the sword in vain. And so both of these sources of power come from God, but the word, the power of the word of God is the only one that will last forever. The power of the sword will wither and fall along with all flesh, which is what Isaiah, and then Peter quoting Isaiah is trying to get through to us. All flesh is like grass, and all their glory like the flower of grass. It withers, it falls, but the word of the God remains, which is why I said to you a couple of weeks ago, and let's look at this slide now, that whatever happens with the kingdoms of the world, including on November 3rd, and whatever feelings you associate with it, whether it's happy or sad or angry or scared, remember that the goal is for those to be so dialed down in you because God's kingdom in you is so dialed up that you are unshakable. That is the goal. Everything that's built by the word of God remains. Everything else, including our political aspirations, will wither and fall. Now, does that mean that the political process does not matter? No, it does not mean that. But ask yourself, how dialed up in your sense of identity and in your sense of security are the matters that are of this world. Number two, grow up and love. So grow up and love. I told you we come back to love because Peter comes back to it. So in chapter two and verse one, he says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
So we're coming back to this question of love. Remember that once we're born again into God's kingdom, our souls are purified, which means that now we are able to love one another. Well, Peter now tells us about these behaviors and attitudes that are antithetical to love, against love. Because remember, love is a verb. It's something that we do. And so he lists here five things that are against love. These are not the only five. Um, there are many more, but these are the five that he lists. And they are malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. What is malice? Malice is a rather general word for evil, which is characterized by hostility toward others. What's deceit? Deceit is manhandling the truth, either by concealing it, or twisting it, or denying it, or misrepresenting it. What's hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is affirming one thing, but then following or doing another. What's envy? Envy is the desire for more, but then we begin to target someone else whom we perceive to have an advantage over us, and so we hold them in contempt or nurse ill will toward them. And what's slander? Slander is when we speak against someone with the purpose of harming them, bringing them harm. Now, let me ask you, how much of the political discourse in our country is marked by these behaviors, by these attitudes, from the left or the right? You see, what Peter is saying to us is that this kind of behavior has no place in the kingdom of God for someone who's been born of imperishable seed. We're commanded to love one another from a sincere heart, and there's no room in a pure heart for malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander. No room, because you see, love attributes the best motives to people. So no slander. Love is content with what we have. So no envy. Love lives with integrity and extends grace, so no hypocrisy. Love speaks and upholds the truth, so no deceit. And love seeks the good of everyone, so no malice. How are you doing? Now in verse 2, the English translation makes it look like it's a new thought or sentence, but in actuality, verse 2 continues what began in verse 1. So the idea goes something like this. So putting away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. You see? So instead of giving yourself over to these behaviors that belong to the perishable seed, to the kingdoms of this world, like a newborn infant, long, crave, crave the pure spiritual milk. Now, what is the pure spiritual milk? What is that? Well, many interpreters say, well, it's the word of God. Because he's been talking about that just a few words before. And, um, and that's included for sure. But there's a more precise, there's a more precise and inclusive way of understanding this metaphor. Peter is saying, there's a way of being in the world that is characterized by malice and envy and deceit and hypocrisy and slander. And there's a way of being in the world if you belong to the kingdom of God, that's characterized by what's pure, what's spiritual. And I'm calling it milk because I want you to crave it like an infant craves milk. And when you crave and go after this milk, you're going to grow up into your salvation. And then he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. There it is. So Peter starts talking about milk and about tasting. Tasting the milk, tasting the goodness of God. The milk is the goodness of God. 
And I need you to listen to me so carefully from now until we finish. So if you need to stand up and shake yourself, whatever you need to do, go ahead and do that because this is so important and I don't want you to miss it. The first lie that the devil sold to the human race was this belief, this false belief that God is not good. You can go back to Genesis 3. It's the first thing he just got them to believe. They started believing there was something great for them that God was holding out from them or holding away from them. And so they decided with instigation of the devil that the tree, the one tree of all the trees that God had given them, that that one tree was good for them. And so they sought the good in that tree and abandoned God. And of course we know that what came to the human race and to them was destruction and death. So what the gospel must do for us, if we have any chance of escaping the corruption of the world and the corruption of our own hearts, is open our eyes so that we may see that God is good. Or to use Peter's language, what the gospel must do for us is give us new taste buds so that God himself and everything that relates to him will taste delicious. And so Peter quotes here from Psalm 34 when he tells us to taste that God, that the Lord is good. And we know that this psalm, Psalm 34, was very important to Peter as he was composing this letter of 1 Peter because he brings up the same psalm, Psalm 34, later on in chapter 3. So I want you to go to Psalm 34. Let's go there, okay? Go to Psalm 34 because I want us to learn from Peter just a bit. What does he mean by tasting that the Lord is good? Because here's the thing. The biggest difference that I've seen between Christians who are merely religious and moralistic and Christians who are kind and forgiving and strong and generous is that the kind Christians are blown away by the goodness of God, whereas the merely religious ones are blown away by their own goodness. And I want you to think about this for a second because the difference is life or death Heaven or hell, are you blown away? And I just mean amazed at the goodness of God or are you amazed at your own goodness? Look at Psalm 34. Let's learn from Psalm 34. Look at David. David says, verse one, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste, there it is. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Let's stop there. But do you see David's posture before God? I mean, he's, he's inviting us to taste, to know that the Lord is good, but Peter makes this his own 
because Peter had walked closely with Jesus and he had come to realize that Jesus Christ was the Lord that Psalm 34 spoke about. And so Peter was able to say with the Psalm, Jesus answered me. He delivered me. He made me radiant. He took away my shame. He heard my cries. This poor man, this poor sinful fisherman cried and the Lord answered me and delivered me. He saved me from all my troubles. He sent his angel to encamp around me. And so, oh, taste, taste, taste that the Lord is good. Seek him. Let his praise be in your mouth at all times. Take refuge in him. Fear him. For those who fear him have no lack. Those who seek him lack no good thing. That's what David says to us. That's what Peter says to us by way of Psalm 34. Taste him. And when, listen to me, when you've tasted that the Lord is good, there is one thing you crave above all else. More of God. That's it. That's what you want more of. If you've tasted that God is good, the one thing you crave above everything else is God. I want more of him. I haven't held newborn babies in like nine years, the age of my youngest child. I've, and I'm talking about a baby that's like within 30 days, 60 days of birth, a tiny little thing. And I've held babies since then, but, but not with the intimacy that you hold your own children, your own babies. You know what I'm talking about? But listen to this. There is one thing that that newborn infant craves with a fierceness and intensity rarely seen anywhere else, and that is milk. Milk. That's what they crave. That's what they're after. And I've heard from my wife, I've never experienced this firsthand, that the latch of that baby is so strong, so fierce, because they're after that milk. And I've seen in all of my babies, I have seen this. I've seen the peace, the serenity, the surrender that comes over them. I mean, they could be frantic and freaking out, but I've seen the surrender that comes over them when they taste that milk and keep ingesting it, drinking it down as if life depended on it because it does. And all is well with the world. And Peter is saying to us, crave the pure spiritual milk. Crave the Lord. Crave his goodness. Crave his grace. Crave his way. Seek him. Psalm 34 is inviting us to seek him, to bless him, to have his praise on our lips, just ready to come out, to fear him. Because those who fear him have no lack to go after him, to take refuge in him, to taste, taste that he is good. Is that how you go after God? Greedy like an infant for that milk? Is that how you go after him? Let me ask you, if when you were an infant, you don't remember this, but if as an infant you had gone after milk the way that you now go after God, would you be alive today? If when you were an infant, you had gone after milk the way that you now go after God, would you be alive now? 
Would you be physically alive? You see, how are you going after God? How much do you crave him? Because you see, I'm not just talking about reading the Bible. I'm not talking about reading more of the Bible. So often I hear Christians who say, oh, I've been feeling distant from God. I'm, I'm far away from him. I just need to get back into the Bible. But God is not a book. God is not a book. Now, don't get me wrong. You know me. We can get to God apart from the gospel and we know the gospel through the word of God. So for us to have the right ideas about God, we need his word. Yes, and yet God is not a book. God, if you're distant from God, it doesn't just mean that you need to read the Bible more. If you've been reading five minutes, up it to 10, up it to 20. It's not just that. Because God is not a book. God is a person. He is a being. Like no other, he is the being in whom you come to, you become the most human, the most alive. And that being, God himself, can go with you wherever you are. He can be with you every hour of your 50 or 60 hours of work. He can be with you in the midst of your relationship. He can be with you in the longings that you have that are unfulfilled, that are bringing sadness to your heart. He can be right there with you. He's not a book. We don't open, okay, I learned about God, close, now about my life. No, God is there. And so have you sought after him and gone after him? Do you love him? Do you taste him? And when you taste him, you're like, oh, I want more of him. I just want more. I can have enough of my God. I mean, when you, when you see a, a, a new infant, a newborn infant drinking milk, it starts going down the sides. They're like so, so at peace, so excited, and they keep going until they're full. That's how we should be about God. Wanting more and more of him. Craving him. We know what craving is. We know this. We go after, we, we crave food. We, we go after things with intensity. You know, my son and I, you know, have you, this time of COVID, have you forgotten your mask? You know, like you go somewhere, like I, I always knew, okay, keys, wallet, phone. It was always those three. But the mask, I'm like, ah, oh, the mask. You know, we were going to Einstein's Bagels one time just together to spend some time, but we forgot our masks. And so my son had a sweatshirt on and he had a t-shirt on. And I was like, dude, take off that t-shirt. I got to make a mask for myself. So I did and I went in and I got the food. But you know, my daughter works at Starbucks and she told me at one time there was a mobile order. And so there was this lady uh, and she saw her come in for this mobile order and she had a diaper <laughs> on her face. She could see the Elmo print and everything rigged up with these rubber bands. And she was like, sorry, everybody, you know? And she got that thing and she left. But you know, we... We know what it is to crave. Have you seen those mugs that say coffee and Jesus? Like, what is that? I mean, like, you know, a little bit of coffee, a whole lot of Jesus. Okay, you got the quantities right, but qualitatively, these two are, they belong to different planes. 
Like, don't bring them that close together. Like, that's confusing you. If you have that mug, smash it, okay? <laughs> Just go home and smash that thing. You have too many anyway. But we know what it means to crave. Do you crave the Lord? Do you crave more of him? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He was in me, will never hunger again. So when we see our malice, our hostility toward others, and we remember Jesus, that he's not hostile toward us at all, but tender. When we see our hypocrisy, we come undone. And I'm not just talking about the blatant hypocrisy that we tend to think about when we think of hypocrisy, right? Like the person who says, don't get drunk, but then that same person is at the bar every night. I'm not talking about that. There's a hypocrisy that lives in all of us that is much more subtle because we all do and desire things for others that we would never do or desire for ourselves. And so when we see the hypocrisy in our own hearts, we're cut to the heart. Because we remember Christ who did for us in his goodness, the opposite of hypocrisy. He took upon himself the evil, the harm, the pain that he never wanted us to endure. When we see our envy, that corrupting desire for more and more, we remember the Lord who became poor for our sake, who abandoned all his riches for us. And when we, what is that? That is tasting his goodness. And we start doing that about every aspect of our lives. And we are saying, I want more of that. I want more of that goodness. Are you blown away by your own goodness? Because if you are, then you may come to church, you may read the Bible, you may pray, you may be a part of a group, but there's not gonna be joy. There's not gonna be deep abiding joy because you're doing it because it's right, not because it's the best, not because there's nothing like it. And if that's you, let me encourage you to fast. Fast from food for a season so that you may taste the goodness of God. I did a sermon on fasting over two years ago. We put it on the podcast right as most recent. You can just go and find it. But I encourage you, if that is you, if this whole concept of tasting, of eating the goodness of God is new to you, is foreign to you, if you relate to God more in terms of morality and religion and duty, then I please, I plead with you fast for a season. Here's why. When we fast, our creatureliness becomes real to us real quick. You stop eating food within six hours, you're going to be like, oh, what's happening? And as that weakness begins to come over your body, it will allow you to go to God, to affirm with Scripture. Because I do believe if you're a Christian, you believe it. It's just that you don't believe it at the heart level. But you'll be able to go to scripture and agree, God, there is no good thing apart from you. God, there is no higher goodness than you. And I want to be filled with you. That's what will happen. And I encourage you to do that. 
if it's difficult for you to affirm with all of your heart that the Lord is sweet, that the Lord is good. So how do we taste God? In the gospel, in everything that Jesus is for us. Those who look to the Lord are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Don't you want that for your life? Don't you want to be radiant, to have no shame whatsoever about anything? It's only in looking to him that this happens. It's why he gave us the Lord's Supper, because he wanted us to have a physical, tangible means of tasting the pure spiritual goodness of the Lord. The bread, the body of the Lord given for us, the cup, the blood of the Lord shed for our sins. Listen to me. When you've tasted the goodness of God, there's only one thing that you will crave above all else, more of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, our words, my words, feel so inadequate to present the banquet that you are, the bread of eternal life that you are, Lord Jesus. And yet we trust by the power of your Holy Spirit you will work, you will work in each one of us, and you will teach us what it means to taste that the Lord is good. Father, let, let us look to the cross. Let us look to all that Jesus has done for us on our behalf. The pain, the evil, the harm that he took upon himself so that we never have to endure it. And let us be undone. Let us come undone. Let us be done with malice and deceit and envy and hypocrisy and slander. Let us be done with these anti-loving behaviors and actions and attitudes, God. And let us love sincerely from the heart because we've tasted that the Lord is good. Father, thank you. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the tangible elements of the supper. So that as we meditate on what you've done for us in the next few minutes and then take them, that we may taste anew the goodness of your love for us. We love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.